here's what you have to understand. It is never too early to begin to seek the Lord. It is never too early to get serious, sold out, passionate, like a heat-seeking missile on it every day, going after the face of God. But listen to me. The longer you wait, the harder it will become. Thanks for joining us today for Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Today, we'll continue in our series, Awakenings, as Pastor Trent teaches us the third condition of revival. He'll also introduce us to a king of Israel who demonstrates what it means to seek God's face. Here's Pastor Trent. We've been in this series entitled Awakenings. It doesn't take a whole lot of spider sense to look around the culture and know that this culture needs an awakening, but even closer to home in your family, in my heart, in your heart, I trust that you have been crying out to God for an awakening. We've been using a scripture verse uh, as part of our script as we've been asking God to do that. It's Habakkuk chapter three, verse two. I have challenged us as a church to memorize that verse. Well, let's all say it together. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath remember mercy. And we've learned that there is a special place in the Bible that kind of gives us the history of the great awakenings among the people of God in 2 Chronicles. Let me ask you to get your Bibles open to 2 Chronicles chapter 34 this week. And uh, we see a pattern in that book that really is the pattern throughout all of the great awakenings. We are supposed to be up and to the right on mission in worship with God. That is our mandate from God and that is where we're supposed to be, but sometimes we get lazy and apathetical and we get other things on our mind and give our love and even our worship to other things. We go into seasons of decline and that invites the discipline and the judgment of God and that ought to get our attention so that we cry out, oh Lord, in wrath remember mercy and God hears the cry of a, a person, an individual, a family, a church, even a nation that will call out and cry up to him. And he has historically sent revival to the church that spills over into the community in a great awakening where people are now sensitive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That puts us back in worship and back on mission with God. And we want to stay up and to the right. So that's what we're believing for, believing God for in this series entitled Awakenings. And uh, in the book of Second Chronicles is the most famous revival verse in the Bible. Most of us even might know that. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Why don't we say this together? Say it with me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. In this verse, we have four conditions of revival, we have three results of revival, and so we've been walking through these, these four different conditions. And a few weeks ago, we looked at a king who humbled himself in Second Chronicles chapter 12. Do you remember who, the name of that king? Anybody remember who was it? Rehoboam, and he humbled himself, and the Lord saw his humility and sent an awakening. And we learned that King Rehoboam actually stopped a little short on those conditions. And so we looked at a king in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 last week who prayed. Do you remember his name? What was his name? Jehoshaphat. And do you remember his prayer? 
Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God averted the disaster that he had planned for that nation. So today, that brings us to the third condition of revival. It is to seek my face. And we're going to look at a different king here in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 that did exactly that. Before we look there in chapter 34, let's just consider this phrase, seek my face. God has given us an invitation to seek his face. Let's talk about what that means. First of all, let's understand that seeking God's face is more about an attitude than it is anything else. It, it, it's about an attitude, not so much an action. It's not something you check off on your to-do list. It is, it's more of a direction than it is a destination. You're never going to wake up one day and say, boy, after 10 years, after 20 years of seeking God's face, I finally found it. I guess I don't have to do that tomorrow. I'll move on to other things. It is a direction of your entire life that says, I'm going to keep pressing, I'm going to keep pursuing, I'm going to keep seeking the face of God. It's an orientation of my heart more than it is plugging information into my brain. It's not learning some secret knowledge about God. It's not getting a special revelation from God that's unique to you. It's not discovering something something that no one else has ever found before. It's an orientation of your heart. And it's very important that we understand that God says, I want you to seek my face, not my belly button, not my kneecap, and not my hand. So often we come to God seeking God's hand. We want something that he gives us. We want his forgiveness. We want help. We want direction. God, if you could just tell me what's coming next, I would do that. Uh, well, that's okay, but that's not what God's invited us to seek. He's invited us to seek his face. I've got some new software on my computer, and it's even shown up on Facebook. And if you ever try to tag people on Facebook and different pictures and stuff, and now you're your facial recognition software will actually try to guess who that face belongs to. Have you ever noticed that? And so, you know, in some of my pictures, it'll pop up and say, is this Andrea? I'm like, no, that's Allison, my daughter, who looks a lot like my wife. But it's up to me to say, no, that's, that's a face that belongs to somebody else. Now, let me show you how important this is right now by a little demonstration here. This is group participation time, and we're about to break every rule of church growth ever written about, okay? Because I'm going to create an awkward moment in church, all right? Before I create the awkward moment, I want to create a very natural moment. This is what I want you to do. I want you to look into the face of someone that you either came to church with or that you know very well, and I want you to do it for a period of at least 10 seconds. Everybody do that right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. Now, wasn't that a nice exercise in church? Some of you had a really busy week, and you didn't even do that all week long. You had to get, come to church and have the preacher give you an assignment in order to do that. You ought to do that more often. Was that a hard exercise? That wasn't hard, was it? He's like, man, I like that. That was pleasurable. I, we should do that more often, right? Now, let me, sh let, me, let me create a little awkward. I would like you to look into the face of somebody. You have no idea who this person is, okay? I don't know their name. I've never seen them before. And I want you to do it for a period of 10 seconds. Go. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Now, do you know what happened when I got to the number ten? I saw heads snap around so quick to look back at me because that was awkward, wasn't it? And some of you, you couldn't even do it. You just started talking to the person. And I'm like, I've got to know your name if I'm going to stare at you, right? I would tell me something. Let me tell you who I am before we do this because we got to break down the awkwardness, right? Well, God says, I want you to seek my face. It's going to be a very awkward thing for you to seek the face of God if you have no relationship. If you have no history, as a matter of fact, you're going to want to resist it because God is so other than you. As a matter of fact, we need to understand that if you're a theologian, you're already a step ahead of me here because you're already thinking back to a time earlier in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, when Moses wanted to seek the face of God and God warned him of something In Exodus 33, verse 20, he said, You cannot see my face, for man who is sinful shall not see me and live. It's a very dangerous thing to seek the face of God. You know what God is saying in this verse? I am so holy, I am so other, I am unlike you in every way, that if you were to actually see my face, it would actually melt your face off. And so be careful what you're asking for here. So it's like, well, does he want us to seek his face or not? He invited us to seek his face and he's telling us he's going to melt my face off. If I, how, do we, how do you resolve that? Great question. The answer is the story of the entire Bible. How do you begin a relationship with God who is holy and unlike you and has the ability to incinerate you in his presence? A sinner, someone who's ignored him, violated his will, and lived your life as if you were God, you're going to come into his presence. How are you going to do that without having your face melting off? New Testament. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has given us His Son, Jesus, as the mediator. And Jesus had a real face. And it's through the work and the person of Jesus Christ that we can now come as a sinner covered by the grace and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus that gives us the ability to relate to God in a way that is not awkward and is not dangerous anymore. And he's inviting us. If you want to experience an awakening, you have to come to my face because my face is the gateway to my mind and my soul. God wants that kind of intimacy with you. He doesn't want you just to know facts about him. He wants you to know his ways and his will and his character and his nature. He wants you to seek him for the sheer pleasure of spending time in his company. That's what we're going for in seeking the face of God. That is so much more than asking God to give you a better car or to bail you out of jail. 
seek the face of God. So we're going to see a person that did that, and we're going to see it here in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1. Here's the first point of the message. God awakens an available heart. Let's introduce you to our hero. His name is Josiah. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 1. And Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Wait a minute. An eight-year-old king? We've got a problem here. How do you resolve that? Now, you should already be asking, why an eight-year-old? Anybody here the parent of an eight-year-old? What are... What are eight-year-olds seeking? The next Lego set? Um, A later bedtime? A donut? I mean, there's a lot of things that eight-year-olds seek. God is usually not real high on the priority list, right? And so here we have an eight-year-old king. And you're like, man, the only thing worse than an eight-year-old king is a king that's acting like an eight-year-old. Anybody agree with that? Okay. So, like... How are we going to have an awakening with an eight-year-old king? That's the first question. So the question is like, okay, God, why why an eight-year-old? I think I know the answer. The reason that God uses an eight-year-old to spark an awakening is because God couldn't find a nine-year-old with a blameless heart or a 39-year-old or a 59-year-old. Do you know the condition that was going on in the country when this eight-year-old began to reign? Here's what we find again in the book of 2 Chronicles. God was looking for someone with a blameless heart. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. The person that God uses is someone who is available with a blameless heart. And God will use anyone who is available with a blameless heart. This was an unlikely candidate for God to use to spark the next great awakening. Let me tell you a little bit about Josiah's family background. How many of you have a a Christian heritage in your family? I mean, by the time you were eight, you had been introduced to the gospel. You, You had a children's Bible in your name and you were you had a drug problem you were drugged to church every week for 8 years right and, and you were addicted it's like because you you had a godly father a godly mama you had a godly granddaddy how many of you had a godly granddaddy thank god for godly granddaddies right how many of you had a godly daddy that's great you had an advantage Josiah didn't have. Let me tell you about Josiah's granddaddy. Josiah's granddaddy, you read about him in the previous chapter, chapter 33. His name was Manasseh. And Manasseh, let's just read it. Just flip back. You can look over one page earlier. And look in verse 6. Manasseh in verse 6 says, he burned his sons. Now, there have been times as a dad that I considered that option. But the restraining power of the Holy Spirit convinces you to use another form of discipline, okay? So Manasseh, 
Manasseh actually burned his, but he wasn't disciplining his son. Listen, he was so messed up, he thought that he was actually worshiping God by burning his son. Look at what it says. He burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Himnon and used fortune telling and omens and sorcery. This is sounding like a Harry Potter movie here. And dealt with mediums and necromancers. Do you know what a necromancer is? That's a person that talks to dead people. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. You think? I mean, how much more ungodly could you be? This guy is so far from God, he thinks he's obeying God by sacrificing his son. This was not a good king. Anybody want to serve under that king? That king, Manasseh, reigned for 55 years. They had not yet figured out term limits, apparently. And so the wicked king just continued to generate more wickedness and more evil and push the nation further and further away from God. Finally, he died and his son became king. His son was named Ammon. The name Ammon is not even a Hebrew Jewish name. It's the name connected to a pagan god. So he's named his son after a pagan god. And Ammon, we don't have a lot of history on on Ammon, but the last few verses there in chapter 33 tell us that Ammon reigned for two years, and what cut his reign short was that he was assassinated. So here's Josiah, an eight-year-old orphan with a pagan granddaddy and an absent father. Now, I don't know what kind of family you came out of, that was not someone that was likely to follow after God. Do you know what that tells us? God can use anybody who makes themselves available with a blameless heart. And God shows up and puts his favor on Josiah. Here's what we learn about Josiah. Before before an eight-year-old seeks God, God seeks an eight-year-old. And whether you realize it or not, God is the seeker. And you, this morning, are being sought. I don't know what you went through this week. You may not have thought about God a single second. In the time that you were not thinking about God, God was thinking about you. And God brought you to this service. And God is seeking you and drawing you and say, are you available? Seek my face. Seek my face. He's given you an open invitation to come and seek his face. And Josiah was an eight-year-old with a bad heritage. But here's what he understood. You do not get to choose your heritage. But you can choose your legacy. If you've been given a godly heritage, don't waste it. If you've been given a heritage of pagan worship, change your legacy. And you can be the first one in your link in the chain to send your family in a better direction than the one that you got by your daddy or your granddaddy. God is seeking those that will make themselves available to Him. Here's another lesson we learn about Josiah. It is never too early or too late to begin seeking the Lord. Look at verse 2. 
In verse 2 it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So there's the eyes of the Lord. They found Josiah doing right. And he walked in the ways of of David, his father. Now I want you to underline in verse 2 where it says, he walked in the ways. You see that? Just underline that. We're going to come back to it in a minute. He walked in the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. It is never too early to begin to seek the Lord. Where are the young people here? Where where are the young people? Raise your hand if you're young. Some of you 55-year-olds, your time, okay? Put your hand down, all right. See the young people? I'm talking to you right now, okay? Listen to me. Eye contact, eyeballs, especially if your last name's Griffith. Okay, so here's what you have to understand. It is never too early to begin to seek the Lord. It is never too early to get serious, sold out, passionate, like a heat-seeking missile on it every day, going after the face of God. But listen to me. The longer you wait, the harder it will become. Is there anybody here? Now I'm I'm talking to the old people now, okay? If you were not in the first category, you're now the people I'm talking to, okay? How many of you regret... Seeking God so soon. Anybody here like, man, I wasted a lot of fun. I could have gotten drunk and had a hangover and thrown up and could have gone through two or three marriages by then and have a bunch of dysfunctional children. Anybody here regret seeking God so soon? All right, young people, I'm now talking to you a second. I want you to watch something. Watch this. How many of you here regret waiting so long? before you began to seek the Lord. Keep your hand in the air. They're watching you. You have regrets like, man, why didn't I do this sooner? Eight years old. That would have been a great time to start seeking the Lord or at least walking in the ways of our father David. Listen, it's never too early to begin to seek the Lord and it's never too late, but the longer you wait, the harder it becomes. And here's the lesson for all of us. No matter what age you currently are, Now is the time to seek the Lord. Josiah was eight years old. He didn't have a whole lot of advantage, but somehow he knew about this guy named David. Now, what's interesting about this verse, it says that David was his father, but we already saw who was his father. What was his name? Ammon. Who was his granddaddy? Manasseh. So who's this guy named David? David was actually his great, 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 Granddaddy, I don't know if I counted 16, but it was 16 generations earlier that David was king. And there's something that Josiah must have known about this guy, this king, who left him a legacy of seeking after the heart of God. Because David was a man after God's own heart. And so this is what Josiah must have done. He knew about his Daddy, and he knew about his granddaddy, not really impressed. He's like, I I think I'm going to go around those guys way back 360 years earlier to find a guy who had a heart after God. That's the guy that I want to imitate in my life. And that's who he walked in his ways. Here's the second point. God awakens a seeking heart. God awakens a seeking heart. Look at verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, 
Let's do a little math in church. In the eighth year of his reign, how old would he have been? 16. Excellent. So the question is, is a 16-year-old a boy or a man? Let's let the Bible settle it. For in the eighth year of his reign, when he was still yet a boy. So biblically speaking, if you're 16, you got to wait at least one more year, okay, before you can actually start calling yourself a man. You're still a boy. But when he was still a boy at 16, I love Josiah because I was about 16 years old when the same thing happened to me. While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Now notice the difference. He began to seek the God of David, his father. Verse 2 tells us that he walked in the ways of his father, David. What's the difference? What's the difference in seeking the God of your father and walking in the ways of your father? Let me tell you the difference. If you walk in the ways of your father, if you had a godly father, you'll be a good boy. You won't be a troublemaker. You'll be likable. You'll know all the rules. You'll be well-respected. And you'll have all the answers in youth group. And you will fake your way through the Christian life and not seek the God of your father. When you stop walking, when you stop being content to walk in the ways and just kind of tolerate God so you won't get in trouble, not just admire God from a distance, but when you make the choice, I am no longer content in walking in the ways of my father, but now I'm going to seek the God of my father. All of a sudden, God becomes real to you. You own him in such a way that you have a personal relationship that is not dependent upon your father anymore. It's just dependent upon your available heart and God's grace to you, inviting you to seek his face. All of a sudden, God becomes personal. You can't stay away from encounters with him because you realize that encounters with God are the only thing that satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And everything else your heart could ever seek will leave you spectacularly unsatisfied other than the face and the heart of God. Have you just walked in the ways of your father? Or have you begun to seek the God of your father? That's the difference. As a 16-year-old, that's what he chose to do. And it made all the difference in the world. God invites you to seek him and his face. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Today, Pastor Trent encouraged us to seek the face of God, just as King Josiah did, even at the age of eight years old. Well, it's never too early, and it's never too late to seek the Lord with all your heart. Well, thanks for joining us today here on Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. 
If you'd like to come to one of our weekend worship services, you can join us Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope you'll join us again next week at the same time for part two of Pastor Trent's message, Seeking the Sender of Revival. My prayer for you is that the Word of God would resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. HarvestGranger.org